The subject of the talk this morning is on the greedy mind. A greedy mind is a mind which can be defined as being strongly desirous of something which in fact it doesn't actually need. Is a certain, a certain type of mind state or a certain type of mental attitude which goes after things which it has no real use for. This greedy mind can be born out of a certain calmness or it can be born from restlessness. Just take the latter first. The person feels inside of themselves to be very restless. There's confusion inside the mind and a way of getting rid of this confusion for one is to be desirous of something. There is a situation of the present moment which I feel dissatisfied with. And then the mind produces a certain type of th thought, desire, energy force, in which the thinking goes along, if I have this, if I get this, everything will be alright. And greediness itself, one may th think of it just in terms of material things. One is desirous of um, <coughs> gaining some particular object, to be more comfortable, to have more, to possess more, or greediness in terms of um, food and drink. But greediness also extends into other areas too, the greediness for experience, the, the greediness for friendship, the, greed, the be, greediness to have more of everything in life. Now, as long as the mind itself is in this state of unrest, dissatisfaction, it cannot but help produce various degrees of greediness, ambitiousness, competitiveness. And of course, we live, in that respect, in a very acquisitive sort of society where tremendous emphasis is placed on having more, where there's no encouragement, no reference to the value of leading a life of restraint, of leading a life of learning to do without. And so the whole, the media, the advertising industry, the music industry and so forth stresses again and again you must have this, you need this, you must get this or that. And so all of that external stimulus upon oneself keeps nurturing, keeps feeding these desires to have more. And a person thus 
feeling that they have little, they don't have enough, feels unrest, and they pursue after more. So it's born out of a certain restlessness, and of course there's a tremendous amount of external stimuli bouncing on the sense doors to increase that feeling of unrest. Then there is the greediness which comes into the mind for, for things, for objects, for people, for places and so forth, which is born out of a calmness. A person may be feeling calm, tranquil, feeling a certain amount of contentment, relaxation and so forth, and then suddenly this desire force seems to well up inside of one, and one wants something. There was no conscious intention for that particular object, that particular place, or to have more, and so forth, but one feels one, I want this, I must have this. And in terms of meditation, it's really to come back to oneself, rediscover more periods of calmness, periods of clarity, in which one can be very clear, this is greed operating inside of me. This greed is taking place inside my mind. Not to condemn it, not to uh, put it down in any way, but to recognize a certain type of mind state when it's operating. If you look, if you look at the greed, which is the desire force working in a particular way, it's a desire force which is actually seeking out pleasurable experience. I have a greed, I have a desire for something particular object and I feel in gaining that object I will become an enjoyer. <coughs> I will enjoy the experience of having this, acquiring this, whatever it may be. This then, there is a desire force and it may be possible for me to go after that which I want very desperately, very badly. If I find that I can't get hold of it, I can't get what I want, then invariably it seems to resort to some kind of mental fantasy. I daydream about it. I imagine what it would be like to have it, and I use my mind as a field of indulgence. It becomes a substitute for not the actual experience of getting what I want, so I imagine what it would be like to have it. Unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't just rest there. A person may ask, well, what's wrong with having these fantasies? What's wrong with daydreaming about being someone, being important, being significant, or being a big possessor, being rich, being powerful, or whatever. What's wrong with having all these indulgences and fantasies? 
in this respect, it's not a question of saying there's anything right about it or anything wrong about it. It's rather a question of what sort of mind state does it invariably lead to? Where do I end up with all my fantasies and projections? It invariably ends up with misery. It ends up with increased areas of discontent and unrest. The discontent and unrest is thrown outwards onto people, places, situations. The discontent and unrest is thrown back on oneself. Quite often, when a person feels basically miserable, basically unhappy, it's often because what is operating inside of oneself is simply, I can't get what I want. Because I can't get what I want, I feel upset, I feel irritated and agitated. And then one tends so easily in that type of mental state to blame everything, to blame everyone. And it's all because one can't get what one wants. One's poor, petty mind can't come to fulfill its desires. In terms of clarity, and clarity in terms of existence, it's really being able to perceive with oneself where this ambitiousness or where this greed is operating. What sort of things does my mind feel attraction towards? What sort of things am I looking towards to rely upon? Do you know, it's rather a peculiar thing with, in terms of greed. Greed is something which I, I want, I'm after, I like. Its opposite in this respect is disliking or negativity or anger, rejection, pushing away, turning away from oneself. <coughs> and usually with greed or negative, sorry, with anger or negativity, it's something which flares up, which comes up inside of you, it stays for a while, it tends to subside, pass away. But greed can be of a completely different, or have a completely different characteristic altogether. It's something which can carry through in much of one's actions from day to day. The mind, because it's often not such an intense sort of experience, it's something which influences lots of small minor actions. Greediness, desiring, wanting, expecting, demanding. All of that is uh, an aspect of the greedy mind. Much of this greediness of mind is born of insecurity. I feel what I am now, how I am now, I feel to be unfulfilled. I feel to be very insecure, I feel to be very incomplete. 
So because I feel to be very incomplete, my mind is, if I can get more, I will feel more complete. I will feel to be better off. So life can be spent in rather dressing oneself up with a whole variety of different possessions, different things, in order to feel to be someone. <coughs> It happens in course in, in terms of particular in, in terms of possessions. The, mi the mind itself is such a, it wants more. What it really means is one feels very poor. We're just taking into consideration the average person who has the basic requisites of living. Speaking of a person who has some money in their pocket for their basic needs, we're speaking of a person who has food in their belly regularly every day, who has their necessary drinks and so forth, a person who has their clothing, who can uh, get medicine at the time of sickness, who has a roof over their head. We're speaking of a person who has those basic necessities for living in terms of the body, physical. But what, is, what one is referring to, what I'm referring to particularly, is those things which we feel we uh, need and which we tend to revolve our whole lifestyle around. So some people revolve their whole lifestyle around having more of the material. Certain things we need, we take for granted. But the mind can get itself centered in the material nature, in terms of having more, possessing more. And so what goes on inside of oneself is, the label comes in, this is mine, that is not mine. And with the label, this is mine, also comes in the whole notion of don't touch. This belongs to me. This I keep for myself. And you have this, again, this separation which takes place. Mind and not mind. And with the greediness of mind, there's an inability to share. There's an inability to give. There's an inability to allow others to use. Because one holds on to very tightly with what one calls mind. And so you have, of course, disintegration. You have breakdown of communication and so forth. The story of a saint is perhaps a little bit of a extreme sort of story, but it rather illustrates it. Excessive greediness is called stealing. Excessive greediness is when the mind is prepared to take something and have it for its own, which one has no uh, uh, authority over, which doesn't belong to one in any sort of sense. So the person who is a thief is a person who feels excessively poor. And there's a tremendous amount of thieving, taking place at many different levels. 
So there was a person, this person was a thief, <coughs> and there was an old ascetic living in the forest by himself in his, in his hut, and he just had, this person, just a few possessions, a couple of books and one or two other items, his plate, his, his bowl, cooking things and so forth, and lived very, very quietly for a long period of time. A thief heard about this fellow and, and had even heard rumours that this person had a lot of money. So he came in the, in the, in the night hours and standing un underneath the hut he was able to push up a floorboard and push the floorboard aside while he was standing underneath the hut. And then he just put his hand up and began to feel around on the floor while he was standing underneath the hut. And he thought that the old, the old sadhu, the old ascetic, was there fast asleep. But the ascetic was sitting there in meditation in the middle of the night. And he, and he heard his, his hand feeling around him. And he op opened his eyes and looked and saw this hand. <laughs> and so he guessed immediately what was taking place. So he had, happened to have a book, a, a sacred a Hindu textbook. And he just handed it to the hand. <laughs> just put it a few inches from the hand. And the hand went round and it grabbed hold of this book and pulled it and put it back. And then the hand came back up again. Oh, fellow still wants some more. <laughs> so he got a hold of a cup and he put it near the fellow's feeling around the cup. So this went on. Finally he had nothing left. He gave him his ro robe, he gave him his books, he gave him his pen, his writing paper, and it all gone. And still the hand was going around looking. What's such a greedy fellow? So the ascetic, the sadhu, he, he walked out of his hut, he went down the little flight of steps, he tapped this fellow on the, <laughs> on, on the shoulder, and he said, Sir, I'd give you the moon if I could. <laughs> it is just, with one particular individual, the whole possessiveness is gone. The possessiveness has gone. One has certain items, one utilizes certain items. One conventionally says, these are mine. This is what I use. But the possessive element is gone. Because the greediness of the mind is gone. The holding tendency of the mind is gone. And, it, and it's an extraordinary thing that when a person looks into themselves and looks into this greediness of the mind and begins to cut through it, then the whole uh, perception of life begins to change. People think, I am the owner of this. I am the possessor of this. I have this. That is madness. In the spiritual path, in the spiritual practice, that is madness of thought. In fact, it's the other way round. Those possessions possess one. Those things that one has own one. And one has got lost and limited to a very small little world of mine. It's quite an extraordinary thing in that respect. That often what one gives, what one gets the most joy and the most delight out of is what is not once. The sea, the beautiful sunset and the 
in the evening making its way down be behind the hills and you get a tremendous coating of red across the night sky and you see that and you enjoy it's a delight you see a you see a flower coming up through the ground you see a bird flying in the air you see a beautiful picture you hear beautiful sounds quite often what one can truly appreciate and get delight from in the nature is what is not mine what everybody else can see and experience and enjoy also it would be madness if someone was to come along and say that the moon's mine it's mine don't look don't put your hand out don't block it belongs to me it's there it's available for everybody just as the tree the, fo the forest and so forth is available for everybody and one sees too in terms of this in terms of this greediness of mind unless something is done unless a person really looks at <coughs> really looks at at it then one is going to see a tremendous increase or further decline in the whole standard of life as it is it's a peculiar ethic of our of the culture <coughs> and of the society that greediness ambitiousness is condoned it's encouraged it's encouraged at virtually every sort of level there is a certain as it were basic morality and ethic which is operating on terms of laws which are imposed upon the individual that one should not kill one should not steal one should not engage in sexual misconduct one should not lie one uh, and so forth and these are in order that people have a certain basic harmonious sort of relationship it's wise it's sensible it's ethical not to kill it's ethical not to steal but people by and large will go as far as they dare without breaking that law and quite often it's because of the fear of pain because of the fear of being caught but people in terms of the greediness of mind will cheat will deceive will engage in corrupt activities will exploit will be very competitive will put down others will promote oneself because the greed force is operating inside and that greed force is, is a very is a very madness of the mind again much of it is born out of a feeling a real feeling of being very very insecure and the characteristic and the peculiar thing with regard to it is that the more one has the more one gains the more one acquires quite often the more insecure one tends to feel and it doesn't seem to be the answer to it for example one reads about these fellows these businessmen on the 
on the stock exchange, become very, very skillful in making an enormous amount of money in the shortest possible time. And this, of course, is regarded as being very successful. It's a peculiar ethic again. To be successful is to get as much as you can as quickly as you can. If you don't do that, you're terribly unsuccessful. And the emphasis again is that you are made to feel unsuccessful. You haven't achieved anything. Yes, but I'm very happy. <laughs> that doesn't matter. You're supposed to be miserable and achieve a great deal. And same in terms of gaining idea, so strongly embedded in us <coughs> to have more, to gain more. So this particular fellow puts his money into various stocks and shares and so forth. Quickly he makes a small fortune. And he, and he writes a book about it. How to be a millionaire in 22 days and things like this. And everybody thinks, wow, what a successful man. This man's accomplished so much. He's such a big fellow. He's got two yachts in the harbour down at Sydney. He's got a house in the Blue Mountains and a farm in Queensland. And he goes on holidays here, there and everywhere. Wow, he's, he's done so much. And the fellow in a few, in a very short period has made $5 million on the stock exchange. And he gets lots of publicity and he's very happy because they spell his name right. And he, so it, all this is taking place. But things change. Situations change. Often changing in his own life. By this time, after one or two years, he's gone through about two or three marriages and so forth. And then the external begins to change. Stocks and shares change. There's a decline. The economy changes. The amount of money that he's got begins to get less. Before he had $5 million in the bank. Now he's in it's a terrible, disastrous situation. He's down to his last million. And he's very anxious about what will happen. Full of fear, full of anxieties inside. He's got a million dollars. The fellow's full of anxieties. Because he might lose it. He might really dwindle, dwindle down to nothing. So from the beginning there was a tremendous motivation, greedy motivation to have more. He's finally come to the top of the ladder. When he walks down the, the, the street, his ego feels very, very satisfied because people in the in the city and in the area of the stock exchange say, that's the man. That's the man who made a fortune overnight. He feels very, very proud of all of that. But inside, he's being eaten up. Because in the gaining of a great deal, there's the fear of loss. In the gaining of so much, there's always the fear it might go. Poor man is no better off. No better off than him. So by adding and adding and adding and adding, one may add and add, it certainly doesn't increase one's quantum of happiness. It doesn't increase one's quantum of, of joy, of delight. 
So somehow, some other emphasis has to be brought in. It's a different approach altogether. A person may say, well, if you don't have desire, if you don't have any ambition, then you become very ineffectual. You end up by doing nothing. You end up just by hanging out and hanging around. You end up like those leeches. <laughs> you jump onto someone else. <laughs> and so there you are, you spend your whole life because you've got no independence. You've got no de inner determination or whatever. You, you prefer to suck off some other poor devil. Live off your mother and father. Live off the brothers and the sisters. Or live off the other people in the community or in the household. Because you have no drive, no ambition and so forth. And sometimes when people are like that, that they don't show any energy or any exertion towards anything, the reaction to that is to go to the other extreme of doing nothing. And one is no better off. One becomes dull, indifferent. And when a person does nothing every day and drifts through every day, it produces such a heavy, heavy mind. And that very heaviness of mind, of doing nothing, is a weight on consciousness. An actual, physical, material weight on consciousness of doing nothing, of lethargy. That very weight on the consciousness pushes consciousness slowly, slowly down. Down into the pit. Down into a pit of depression and despair through doing nothing, through indifference, through dullness. So, just to react against ambitiousness and greediness by doing of nothing is certainly not the answer. What is necessary for one's own welfare and growth is finding <coughs> a middle point in which one rather takes that energy, that desire force energy, and puts it in a new direction. In putting it in a new direction, one avoids the pit of dullness and the shoddy mind. One avoids the madness of craving and ambitiousness and wanting of this and that. One puts it in a new direction. And putting it in a new direction is in terms of growth, <coughs> in terms of being more and more conscious. Another area with the type of mind, the greediness of the mind, is also in terms of comfort, in terms of physical comfort. And we know that there's a tremendous amount of items and gadgets and so forth being made available to make supposedly life easier. And no one makes 
or acquires all these things, still again life doesn't seem to get easier. It doesn't get easier because of the state of mind. We, in India, some time ago, we were, it, we're in northern India and in a country town, quite a large town in the northern part of India, in near the Punjab area. And we met some, some missionaries, some Christian missionaries, and went to visit their home just uh, for an hour or two one, one afternoon. And they were living what one would consider to be extremely comfortable sort of surroundings. Their, their house was like a, no American people, was like um, an average uh, Western home. Carpets, very comfortable armchairs, uh, a rack full of mag Time magazines and news, Newsweek magazines, and all the nice lighting and all the shades and everything that you would expect to find in a very wealthy, comfortable home, and uh, and also on the on the wall were were these uh, uh, st stuffed animals, um, which had been shot in the Himalayas, and so on the floor you had a, a deer skin, and then you had a bear's head on one wall, and a head of an antelope on another wall and so forth, in which this missionary had very proudly shot and killed these, killed these creatures for his enjoyment. And so we spent a little time there and had some, had some tea with the people and, and so forth. And afterwards we were just we were leaving, we were walking down the road with the, the pathway with the couple and the lady of the house was saying how much they'd given up in order to become missionaries. Um, in uh, in India, and uh, I said, oh yes, I didn't sort of say say too much, and she said, well you see, we've left behind our electric knife and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole field of, <laughs> in in that respect, is where a person drops off something like an electric knife. I'd never even heard of an electric knife. <laughs> And then somebody tells me they even have electric toothbrushes. That seems to so all these all these things that are accumulated and accumulated, and then the person feels that these things are needs, that they are must, that one can't possibly do without them. And so, to not to have the electric knife is a great act of sacrifice. Tremendous renunciation has taken. <laughs> Certainly not to say that all the, that the missionaries who work in the East are, who live like that, some too are very, very, lead a very ascetic and a very austere life and are quite remarkable human beings. But there, but there are others who tend to travel and want to take everything of the Western culture into their wherever they are. So that is in terms of greediness with regard to material possessions. And a person needs to be very, very watchful of what they are possessive about. Where they are creating in the world a my label or our OUR label. 
countries have been created like that. Wars are created because of that. This creating with the mind an artificial line in the nature which separates one group or one set of people from another. And you are there, we are here, don't cross. And that is why we all have to travel in this world and we have to have passports with numbers and so forth. And it wouldn't be surprised surprise me one day if the disintegration reaches the, the level where you'll need cards to go from one street to another and to come to one street, you know, and there'd be so much division and contention about mine and not mine that you have to flash your card when you go into Market Street or go down George Street or something like that. And it's all artificial lines which the mind has created separating one group, one people, one place from another. There's nothing out there in the material nature which gives evidence of it. It's a creation of the mind, made by the mind, sustained and supported by the mind. And it's madness. Then there is greed, again, with, in terms of the need, the desire for, for comfort, and it operates, too, in terms of our own daily situation. And one begins to notice, one comes into the forest, spends a few days in the forest, and one may well have been removed from, very, from a great deal of what one accepted. So, many times inside of oneself, the thoughts come through the mind, naturally enough, humanly enough, if only I had this, I should have brought this, I should have brought that. I need an extra blanket for the, for the bed. Or I should have brought a, my other sleeping bag. Or some extra, extra clothes. Or I wish I'd gone out and bought a jar of peanut butter. <laughs> All these things start to go through the mind, if I only had this. Because we've got so used, mostly, to getting all the little things that we want. And then suddenly, one is rather cut off from them. And when one feels cut off from all those little things that one wants and is, one is used to having, one is rather left a little bit naked, a little bit by oneself. Result, agitation of the mind, restlessness of the mind. And it's a very, it's a very noble thing, a noble gesture. In learning in life, learning really deeply inside the joy of learning to do without. Not only the joy of learning to do without the material, just using the material things as necessities, as basic requirements, but learning also to do without the substitutional element, the fantasy, the projection, the big mental build-up that one has in terms of what one wants and likes and will get. Learning to do without the, the physical, learning to do without the mental, in terms of the fantasies and so forth, what happens to consciousness? Consciousness is being relieved of all that weight. It begins to grow and expand enormously. Then 
those of you who have been in Southeast Asia or anywhere, anywhere in the East where things tend to be a little bit more disorderly in this, re this respect, um, where, whereas in the East, uh, sorry, in the, in the Western world, one might speak generally, things are much more orderly um, in terms of you want to travel on the train from A to B. You know, you go, you ring up, you order your railway ticket, you book your seat, you get your seat, and you make the journey. And you can be pretty well assured that when you do that, you're going to get on the train. You do that, you're going to get on into the seat. And it goes so nicely and smoothly. And these things are run very well in the West. It's similarly in terms of getting on the bus. If you're in Queen Street there, and the, the bus is going to come along, you know that if the bus is not full, you're going to get on it, or there's just going to be a number of people who are allowed to stand. This is generally how it is. But if those, those who have been exposed to the East can, may have a, a different sort of experience in that area. <coughs> and in, say for example, you want to get on the train to go from Benares to Gaia, well, it happens that you want to get on the train. But it just happens to be the day that thousands of others also want to catch the same train. And the whole desire force which is going through everybody's mind, and there may literally be hundreds of people wanting to get on the train, is, I want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable means I want a seat. Means that I want a seat, therefore, I've got to fight with this other fellow. So they don't only go through the doors. <laughs> it's true. It's, they go through the windows. So there's this mad scramble, and legs and backsides are everywhere, and they're fighting and pushing, and one person's pushing one's, somebody else's head pretty well off their shoulders in order to get in first. Tremendous greed of the mind for C-O-N-F-O-R-T, comfort. Nothing but the desire for, for comfort and operating. So people will kick and they will push and they will fight. And there's a tremendous competition. And a person gets in, and he happens to be fortunate. He gets in and he sits down. You never in all your life saw such a look of triumph on such a person. <laughs> You'd think this fellow had just walked, just been the first man to stand on the moon. He's got a seat, and he sits there, and he deliberately looks at everybody else. <laughs> Better luck next time. <laughs> and everybody else bitterly disappointed, particularly the man who nearly got the seat, and he's there fuming with agitation. No, this is the way of things. In the East, at least, everybody sees the game and gets into it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same sort of mind which is working in our own world, in fact, the whole world over, in which this ambitiousness is the desire for distinction. The desire not only to be successful, 
the desire to be better off than everybody else, to the desire in terms of the one-upmanship game, or we might add the one-upwomanship game. The desire to be distinct. This craving for distinction sets oneself up in competition with everybody else. Friction, jealousy, tension, bitterness, dispute, contention are all expressions of the same mind which is in a state of greediness and ambitiousness. No love is there, no unity, no harmony, no sense of oneness, no appreciation of others because self is the important thing. So that is with regard to the, the material, material nature. But greed is also in terms of name and fame. Greed is in terms of res having respect, greed for respect, greed for status. And in the spiritual practice, the way that greed works is in terms of experience, experience. The craving, the desire for some sort of experience. Gurus, teachers, gurus, who are very, very popular these days, are the gurus who can give you instantaneous experience. You see, we want everything instantaneous, and so because we are so happy now to have instantaneous coffee, we also, <laughs> we also want an instantaneous buzz. And so these particular teachers, some teachers have what they call shakti, a certain, a certain power. And, and their job is very simple. A, a, a disciple, a devotee comes to them, and they just place their fingers on top of their head. Om Shanti Shanti. And the fellow gets a lovely buzz. Ah! Awakens. <laughs> like this. And he sees bright lights and sparks going on inside. And he feels delighted. And he goes and tells everybody, or she goes and tells everybody, oh, that is a fantastic experience. This man, you must go and see his friend. My guru. And he becomes the central conversation in the local cocktail parties and in the evening parties and so forth. And then somebody else comes along and, and is full of tension and, and pressure because they're waiting for the experience and experience. Oh, And the Guru has this lovely beaming smile to show his ananda, his bliss. And the person goes, <laughs> Now quite often, it may well be because of the power of the teacher of the Guru. There's no question. Some of the Gurus have enormous uh, personal power with regard to that. But sometimes it's much more simple than that. It's simply that this person has got so much tension, so much tension with regard to this darshan, this meeting with the Guru. And they just get a touch. The tension goes. Release. <laughs> and there's joy, there's delight. And then there's a craving for personal experience in terms of one's meditation practice. One is, finds oneself doing the practice of meditation with the same 
sort of desire for something. The same sort of gaining desire operating inside of oneself. When really the meditation is not so much in terms of the gaining, it's in the terms of the dropping. It's not so much in terms of having, it's in the terms of letting go. The way of meditation is that one grows or comes out of all the limitations and all the limitations too that experiences can have upon one. So one finds, for example, a person has had in the past a particularly good experience. It may be through drugs, it may, it may be through meditation, it may be through something spontaneous inside of themselves, a particular experience. This experience then becomes interpreted as being something very meaningful, very special, and it well may be. But what happens with the mind afterwards? The mind afterwards feels, oh, that was such a great experience. That was really such a divine experience, such a high experience, so special. And then the greedy mind jumps in again. I want it back. How am I going to get it back? What am I going to do to have this again? And so then the person starts running around, hither and thither, all because of the mind wanting something of yesterday back with them today. There's no freedom in that. One is stuck. Before it was material pleasure that one was stuck with, now it becomes a pursuit of spiritual pleasure. No freedom there, no freedom. Meditation and the meditation which we are doing is not in the pursuit of experience, it's in the seeing of what is. At any sort of level as it manifests, it's to see it. And in this way, the ordinary becomes something more meaningful. What seems so ordinary, what doesn't seem to be anything in particular, is only because the mind is very shoddy. It's only because the mind simply has no clear perception <coughs> of the very vastness and the very dynamics of existence. It's only because the mind is a dull mind. And clarity, which is the elimination, the let, or the cutting through the dullness of the mind, enables one to see things very, very clearly. And life becomes much more spiritually orientated. So our meditation and our practice is in terms of the breath. Just the witnessing of the in-breath, the witnessing of the out-breath. And again, not using it as a tool for personal ambition. You know, out of it I will get some powers, or out of it I will become this, and out of it I will be this or be that. But much more in terms of the humility of just witnessing what is taking place. Discovering what it means to be alive to something. Alive to the breath.
A person could be walking around up and down the streets of, of the Shannon or, or Nimbin or anywhere in the in the world. And ordinary, conventionally, we say, this person's living person. What do you mean? Of course the person's living. They're walking. That is only very, very conventional. Living is to be aware. When there is no awareness there, when there is no underlying clarity, there is no life or spirit. You know it. For example, if you you went for a walk from from half a mile walk, and it sometimes happens you get from A to B. When you arrive at B, you think, "My God, where was I? Just where on earth was I?" Don't remember a single thing. One can't remember a tree or a flower or a person that one passed. One can't remember if one was walking on the pavement or one was walking in the gutter. One can't remember a shop or anything. Ten minutes of walking, where was I? Nowhere. At that time, that is called spiritual death. There's no life. One is dead. Somehow or other, the mind got blocked. When the mind was blocked, there was no clarity. When there is no clarity, there's no life, there's no spirit. So meditation is the cutting through these, these blocks which block one out to abide in greater clarity at the moment-to-moment -moment level. By this means one comes into greater perception of existence. By this means one cuts through the greediness of the mind, the acquisitiveness of the mind, the ambitiousness of the mind. By this means one comes to know what freedom is. May all beings May all beings come out of the greediness and ambitiousness of the mind. May all beings be in the perception of totality. <laughs>